It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Tonight, we're going a little rock and roll. They say God brought rock and roll to you, but what happens if it's the devil? Um, we've got a <laughs> guest, first-time guest, Joe Harris, to the show. And before I welcome him, let me welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hi. Really excited to have Joe on the show tonight. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, someone I wanted to have on the show for quite a while. Uh, Joe Harris, first time he's been on Graphic Policy Radio. Um, he's a creator of tons of series, both uh, he's done creator-owned and, and uh, series that you'll know of. Uh, he, he currently writes X-Files with, for IDW. Uh, he's done some really cool um, creator-owned series like Gra- uh, Great Pacific, which is a, a comic I absolutely love. Um, he's also done um, Bishop for Marvel. He's done stuff for DC, Dark Horse, Ghost Project. Um, yeah, just a myriad of really, really awesome series that you should go and check out. But the latest one we're talking about uh, mixes comics with a little rock and roll and music, something that's an awesome combination. Alana's a, a music fan like I am. So uh, taking the two and putting them in a comic series is really, really fun and uh, interesting stuff. So welcome to the show, Joe, and, and thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I wasn't prepared for the uh, late '80s Kiss lyrics. That was uh, that was an unexpected uh, treat. <laughs> you know, well, you, speaking of Kiss comics, you got to start something of off, Kiss, right? <laughs> and and yeah. speaking of Kiss comics, I I I actually have you know it's, I've read not a ton of Kiss comics, but I read some Kiss comics, and I felt like some of the narration you had going on totally threw me back to reading them in terms of the, I don't know if it was the tone or the style, but it captured some of that for me in a way that I thought was incredibly entertaining. Which, uh, I'm not, to be, I'll, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but I haven't read a lot of Kiss comics. I know a lot about Kiss, and I did read mm-hmm. the earliest Kiss comics, the, you know, uh, the, the stuff that they were rumored to have dripped their blood into the vat of red ink over and all that, but I, oh, I yes. haven't really read any of your Psycho Circuses. Or, I'm familiar with it all, but it was really uh, much like God gave rock and roll to me. I was a little past Kiss, I guess, by that moment in time, uh, or rather at that oh, moment yeah. in time. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, they are the original uh, comic book rock stars, so. Yeah, well, that's super cool. So how did you uh, come up, t- so how did the idea for the series come together for you? Uh, well, I always, I've always been fascinated by um, urban legends and, you know, factoids and rumors and all the sort of uh, both real and, you know, kind of apocryphal stuff that goes on behind the scenes and uh, regarding so many of our favorite bands, albums, uh, eras, uh, you know, I love historical trivia, you know, learning about all this stuff growing up while you're discovering the music, like, you know, getting into the Rolling Stones uh, for the music's sake while simultaneously learning all about what happened at Altamont and, you know, uh, tumultuous stuff, how Brian Jones drowned in a pool and, and, and all those little those little uh, like story nuggets just inform the discovery a little bit. So I've always been into that as much as I've been into the music. It, it feels like sometimes, you know, listening to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band for the first time when I was a little kid, um, not only listening to the songs back to back, and it is a brilliant album, but really pouring over the artwork, both, you know, inside the gatefold and outside, and later learning how um, how many clues in the supposed Paul is dead uh, conspiracy were actually uh, mined from, from that alone, from the art direction on that album cover alone. Um, I've just always been fascinated by stuff like this. And I, I've wanted to do a music comic for a while, and uh, the last couple of creator-owned things I'd done were more heavy, uh, you know, environmental, sci-fi, bleak stuff. And uh, this felt like the right time to do it. It's just a a departure and it's a lot of fun. It's great. There's a lot of of, uh, creators are like diving into music or doing like soundtracks for their comic series. Uh, And I'm sure there's a question Alana would ask eventually, but I'm going to steal it. (laughs) Uh, So what what type of music would you kind of, Gear towards the series, or I think you were doing Spotify playlists uh, for I the did, actual I issue. Did. I, so. I made my 
my very first Spotify playlist. Actually, I'd never uh, I'd never really done that before. I have a I have a big music collection. I don't I don't often pour through Spotify, but it was cool uh, to put something together. It uh, it contained a lot of um, a lot of Led Zeppelin, a lot of Pink Floyd, um, some more obscure stuff as well will be coming out. We're gonna try and drop a list every time a new issue of Rock Stars comes out. So it, it'll uh, hopefully I love keep it. building per story arc. Um, yeah, I, I hope people dig it. Um, it's it's very much uh, of the era that we're evoking in rock stars, like 1970s arena rock, where Zeppelin and Sabbath really are deep purple, big, powerful bands that really command um, an arena's worth of attention. Um, that very much is the backdrop of this series, in particular, this opening story arc. Wow. I mean, I you know, when I began reading the issue, um, sort of the description of the fictional band that's at the center of this, at least this first part of the story, it, I, I was like, okay, looks like Zeppelin, but like them being a super group kind of feels like cream, especially when you describe the music. I, I definitely felt like a lot of the influences that you were talking about, you, you know, definitely got captured in the art and in the and in the storytelling. So I'm, I'm excited to check out the actual soundtrack. You'll have to share the link with us and we'll post that around. I really enjoy when, when, when writers do the soundtrack works for their, for their uh, stories. Well, cool. Good. I mean, I would, you know, I'm trying to curate this a little bit. I personally don't listen to that while I'm writing. I need it to be silent mm-hmm. usually, but um, I guess if I listen to anything lately, I've been listening to like um, uh, Jimmy Page famously recorded this unused soundtrack for a Kenneth Anger film called uh, Lucy yeah. Rising. Mm-hmm. So and I and I mm-hmm. have a I have a bootleg copy of it from a long time ago and uh, I put I put that on sometimes and just get into it because it it very much is that era Jimmy Page just lots of instrumental weird stuff so it's almost like taking the 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 twenty five minute theremin uh, odyssey in the middle of like vintage days and confused performances but sort of just stringing it out. Um, as the score for this film that you're not actually watching. So I could actually, I could write to that a little bit. Um, but uh, typically if I, if I just start listening to music, I stop writing. So the, the playlists really are what I hope people might want to listen to when they read it, but not necessarily what I'm listening to. It's a little weirder than that. I think that like for, I realize that there's, there's a lot of comic fans who are huge music geeks. And then there's like the other half of comics fans that are not. So for the people who aren't, like, what we are providing is a lot of educational stuff for them. I, I've definitely, when I when I talk about music in my own reviews of, of comics or talk about comics, I have a lot of music references. I'm always hearing from people who, like, 50% of them are like, yeah, I love that band, and this totally makes sense to me. And the other 50% are people who are like, I had no idea who they were, so I checked them out, and they're really cool. Well, I mean, you know? if I could turn anybody on to this stuff, that would be that would be wonderful. That's I'm doing good work then I think, but we'll see. You know, I, if anything, I'd like to see renewed appreciation for some of these bands. Um, I think some things get a little played out generationally sometimes. And I, I really like when um, stuff is rediscovered uh, by generations later. I really like how David Bowie has really risen to the, to, to sort of a pinnacle of his era among people who are, are, are discovering this era's music for the, for the first time, like I just, it's it's always mm-hmm. interesting to see like what bands survive generationally in the in 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 the you know the hierarchy. You know, some bands just get completely forgotten, while others sort of move up a little bit in the rankings. If that makes any sense, it's just always interesting mm-hmm. to behold. And and um, if if you know we could turn anybody on to physical graffiti, I would consider that a, a career highlight. <laughs> You know, for me, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people describe bands as being one-hit wonders just because they themselves have only heard one of their songs, and maybe the band is actually was an enormous hit in England, as is often the case. Um, are you are you uh, so, are you going to make the case the knack are bigger than than we should? Not for the knack in particular, no. But I will fight about <laughs> Adam and the Ants immediately at the drop of a hat. Absolutely, bow wow wow. So many examples. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that we definitely have an educational, pop-cultural role to play in our art in those ways. Um, and one of the other things that I thought was really interesting, too, is just seeing, like, look, you know, looking through the art, there are so many hidden references. I mean, they're not hidden. They're there. They're just sort of layered upon each other like a collage. 
to different classic album art and imagery that you'd recognize from different bands. And I was wondering, how much of that did you guys script uh, between you and the artist? Um, and how much of that did she just pull together from her brilliant brain? It's Megan well, Hutchinson she, who did the well, art, she, right? Yeah, she, Megan's awesome. Um, I, you know, I script pretty tight, and I give, uh, I give her a lot of reference, but she, uh, the opening, uh, the introduction to Jackie, uh, Rockstar's protagonist, where we see him on the floor in his, in his little, uh, you know, Venice bungalow, sort of going over, ruminating on the, on the clues in the case that he's putting uh, all this information together, and he's talking about all these, uh, you know, famous rock urban legends and conspiracies, and you kind of see the cat pick up the little stuffed shark and carry it over. It's like, it's kind of like this little action going on beyond the, behind the narration that was all Megan. That was really cute. And um, mm-hmm. we work really well together like that. I love the personality that she infuses into what I write. How did you guys <laughs> connect to the story? Because we know lacks personality otherwise, but. Um... <laughs> How did you guys connect uh, on this project? How did we connect? Um, well, we yeah. who uh, Derek Robertson introduced us. Actually, we met at Emerald City Comic Con a couple of years ago, uh, mostly through Derek and as well as some other mutual friends. Um, I was looking to pitch this series, and uh, I liked Megan. She had just uh, published a graphic novel with Arkea called Will of the Wisp, and I had seen it and I thought it looked great. And um, I liked her attitude. I liked her energy. Um, she's a lot of fun, and I think that comes across. Uh, I, I just I just like what she brings to this project in terms of, of, of attitude and energy, and we hit it off immediately. And, and, you know, over the last couple of years, we really finally got this thing into shape and got it out there. Oh, so this project's been going on for a while. Wow. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how long you've been, have you two been working on it? A couple of years. That's not untypical, at least not for me. In fact, that's fast. I mean, I come from a background of trying to get, you know, indie films off the ground and stuff. And, you know, I know, I know what it's like to actually take years to finish a project. So, yeah, the idea that um, we would start working on this and, you know, a creator-owned book is, is kind of going to go as far as you're willing to put into it, you know, of your own resources and equity and time. And so you know, it takes a little bit to get everyone on the same page and then, you know, to get image on board where, you, where, you know, everyone wants everyone else to be. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how fast other people are getting them out there, but two years doesn't feel that bad. Maybe, maybe it, uh, I don't know. Maybe I got to oh, cut heard... down this lead time. No, I, 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 sorry. I thought I, I thought I heard you say four, but, um, but that's really neat. Like, I mean, even within that the time frame, I mean, we've been working on lots of different projects as well at the same time, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, what, has your process changed at all since you've begun working on this then now? Uh, well, I mean, overall, my process is a juggling act. I mean, it's a lot of, um, you know, I feel like I'm juggling uh, fire and chainsaws sometimes, just trying to keep it all straight. And uh, rock stars is sort of the thing that... Um, I can't wait to get to just because it's, it's ours, you know, and it's personal to me as well as, as well as the most, I mean, it's dark, but it's also lighthearted in the way it kind of approaches the darkness that it explores. So it's kind of, it is a treat. So as far as my process goes, um, I, I don't know. I constantly find myself, you know, getting little ideas that I'm jotting down about how we might explore some little facet of something, make it relevant to uh, the overarching storyline that we're going to be exploring in Rockstar. So my process is kind of all over the place because I may be working on something else and I'll just get an idea for it. Or I might be listening to music and that'll spark something. Uh, even though I'm not supposedly working on Rockstars, I'm always thinking about it. So, um I don't know. I, I, I try to make sense of my process generally all the time, and sometimes it's it's like trying to follow a treasure map that's been half washed out. So it's it's uh, forgive me if I can't explain. That makes sense. I mean, all things considered, certainly. Yeah, all things considered. No, it really is. Sometimes I, I I wish I could distill my process into something I could explain, but it's almost like uh, it's 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 almost beyond me. <laughs> Do you have the whole story planned out, like, for the series at this point, or are you still figuring out where it's going? Broad strokes, you know. Um, I'm trying to plot where I want to take our uh, – I, I have a pretty good grasp on the, on the overarching storyline, and I'm 
trying to game out how to explore the different eras and genres we want to explore. The, the idea is with each arc to sort of take a little bit of a turn into another genre or era of music and sort of set the mystery in the case that Jackie and Dorothy are going to get to the bottom of in that era, at least That's someday. That's so cool. You know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really like the, the idea 70s. of opening it up so that you have more than one part, more than one fandom, more than one era, more than one, I guess, musical orientation included that's in the, the story. Idea. I think that's a great idea. That's definitely the idea. And it's, it's always going to have one foot in the 70s because that's where um, uh, the mysteries involving Jackie's uh, family and his backstory, which uh, this first arc is going to start illuminating soon, uh, are based. So it's always going to have one foot there that we're going to go back to. But, for instance, arc number two is going to... Uh, in sort of an oblique way, it's going to be about 80s metal. <laughs> so Yay! I'm pretty excited about nice. it. It's a genre I love. And <laughs> yeah, me too. That's awesome. And so much yeah, of it has been of, like, like, Iron Maiden, like Judas Priest, you know. Ah, okay, yeah. got it. Viper so Room references. New wave of British heavy metal, got it. Not limited to, but definitely... Um, <laughs> definitely part of this it's still it's still coming together that's that's the that's the nature of this thing it's like i have a premise um and i also have at least a working knowledge of what else can inform this so there might be other um other sub both that inform that and come from it that that uh may factor into this next arc as well I look forward to the the '90s boy band uh, volume. Um, so the, <laughs> God the, damn it, Brad! The, the, the <laughs> New kids on the block, man. Oh, yo. Um, so the the actually the first issue, uh, well, a lot of mentioned Kiss. I actually got a, a, like an almost famous vibe from it. Um, the band and their look, um, you know, kind of reminds me of, the, of Stillwater in the film. Um, well, I love almost some famous. of like. I mean, yeah. Was was there kind of like, uh, like an almost homage, or were you think kind of thinking of it a little bit while you're doing it? It's uh, an amazing sure. film. I mean, I mean a little bit. I mean, you know, Jackie monologuing his way through, you know, the '70s backdrop is is can't help but be somewhat reminiscent of uh, the character William Miller, played by Billy uh, William Fugit, right, and in, in, in almost famous. So. Yeah. That movie is so adorable and beautiful and. Um, uh, beloved by me that uh, it can't help but influence and inform. I mean, that, that's my favorite movie since uh, 1999 turned to the year 2000. You know, I, I, I love Almost Famous. I, I think it is uh, so wonderful. I, I, I can only see this as a compliment and flattery. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no problem. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, like absolutely love it. It was the, uh... The, the the vibe, like, immediately I could start hearing the music from the film and all that. So, like, you, you nailed it with the, the vibe. I thought it was actually really, really cool. Um, One of the things that you're with, doing with the, that that is not necessarily the case with, like, all the other works in that genre is you're actually centering a lot of this on the female characters' stories and experiences here. And I hope you, so. And you name. Yeah. I mean, and you name one of the characters after Bebe Buell, who was, like, a famous seamster who wrote a book mm-hmm. about her experiences in the era. I appreciated that salute as well. Yeah, little Easter eggs are all over this thing. I, I hope um, uh, some of them are a little bit more uh, recognizable than others, but um, I like when people say things like that. I, I like reading reviews or, or, or uh, uh, pieces on the, on the book, and people actually fill in some gaps, and, and they'll start lending their own knowledge about a particular point or – uh, so, uh, Jackie's cat Sky Dog is named after Dwayne Allman, the late great slide guitarist oh, from yeah. the Allman Brothers band. And uh, I've read a couple of pieces that will just go off on this tangent, talking about the Allman Brothers band. When the only connection to the to the book that they really have is the name of the cat. Um, so that's neat. I like stuff like that. Yeah, if I was a bigger Almond Brothers fan, and I'm like kind of only just starting to listen to them a bit now, that's totally what my review would have consisted of, would be a complete digression discussing the significance of the choice of the cat's name and what it symbolizes. <laughs> I recognize that that's the sort of review that I write. Um, but I, I really do feel like a lot of stories that take place in the, in the rock milieu don't really have anything to say about women involved in the scene um, and don't really have like 
I mean, like, I don't want to give away the story, but you have, like, some, you know, serious female character appearances here um, that I did not necessarily assume would be present upon opening the book. So I think that's pretty exciting. Well, uh, I hope so. I think that um, uh, when exploring subject matter like this, I think um, when you look back at most of the way that era is presented, women are typically presented as set pieces, you know, as props, as um, articles in the, you know, revolving around the, I mean, the nature, I guess, of, of, of covering rock stars, which has always been a male-dominated thing, even though there are obviously some wonderful, uh, from that era and beyond, females who, 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 who were part of the pantheon, it's, it's like most of virtually everything else. It's been as much of a boys club going back when, Forever, and a lot of the times uh, you, you, you read stories like this, it's all about groupies, uh, you know, offered up as, as, as tribute almost, you know. So I, I'd like to think that we're, we're giving this a little bit more humanity. Um, it is something that, that, that's important to us uh, to sort of break that a little bit and break out of that, uh, the paradigm that we usually see this subject matter explored. Excellent. With with um, you know the mystery that's going to kind of come out of this and what we're going to learn, you know, obviously we're just kind of getting a, a taste of it in the first issue. You know, with so many you know mysteries of rock and roll and all these conspiracy theories and and rumors and all that. You know, what were some of them that you kind of looked at as kind of ins- as inspiration for the story? Uh, well. You you know, at the heart of this opening story is really a murder mystery. So um, that in and of itself, I wouldn't say that, that, uh, you know, the mystery of who, you know, what what is it about the the victims of Jimmy James and the the guitar player and our fictitious uh, Zeppelin S-band Blue Rider, like what's that all about? That that, that's very much, I, I think, beside my working knowledge of, of rock conspiracy stuff, but um, you are going to see uh, some of the more famous ones in form, the original one that we're really telling here. I mean, we're going to get into some of the 27 Club um, and sort of explode some of the popular uh, rumors uh, related to, uh, you know, this idea that the devil is out there collecting dead rock stars who who, who passed on at age 27. Um we're going to illuminate something about that mystery that's going to inform something uh, involved in Jackie's story. Uh, we're going to be, uh, we may get into something involving Paul is dead, the, you know, the, the, the rumor that Paul McCartney had been killed and replaced by a lookalike. Um, that directly references history, the clues that the Beatles would weave into the albums and such, while also illuminating something related to Jackie's life. But, uh, you know, the murder mystery is, is really like a straight-up Black Dahlia-type murder mystery. And mm. um, uh, it's just wrapped in this conceit that, like so much else in the, in, 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 you know, the 70s rock scene, it was such a swirl of, of sex and drugs and continuous pounding rock and roll that somebody missed it. And this kid who has a, uh, this almost supernatural affinity for it knows what's up, and we're going to get to the reasons why. With the with the look of the series, the characters in particular, how much was that you, and how much of that was uh, Megan in the design of that? I mean, it was really cool with just this retro look to everyone, and and very much how I picture like rock stars of that time. Well, thank you. I mean, I you know with the new the the present day characters like Jackie is definitely there's something very throwback about him. Certainly, uh, the only note I really gave Megan for him was I, I thought Ryan Adams' hair was kind of. Um, that was in my list of notes. And then, uh, with Dorothy, uh, our female lead, she, uh, is much more stylish, much more confident. Um, you know, we looked at, we looked at some Stevie Nicks outfits. We looked at, uh, some other style of the day and tried to make her look both timely and timeless. Um, and I credit Megan, uh, with all of that, uh, at least, um, the lion's share of it because, Mm-hmm. She's got this way of making uh, really, really pretty um, 
pop against really, really gritty, dark textures and um, combine that with her, with her design and her sense of style. Um, I, I really dig it. And uh, it, it does fit, when, you know, the period stuff, when we flash back to the 70s, I think that there's a consistency to everything, but it doesn't look overly retro. It kind of, I still feel the shift when we, when, when we switch from 2016 Los Angeles to, you know, 1974 uh, West Hollywood and the Riot House. It's like everything kind of fits within under the same production design, but it's still distinct. And um, now she's great. I, I you haven't seen anything yet. I'm so excited by the new things that she's that she's pumping out. Very cool. That's really cool. There's a lot of texture in the art, you know. Like I think that the sense of having all the posters layered on posters on the wall, which is something a lot of us, you know, grew up with. That mm-hmm. like visual sensibility is something she really carries throughout the throughout the book that I saw. Yeah, the details are great. Um, we're gonna start exp- we're gonna start having some fun in the backgrounds too, like uh, interesting uh, television clips that'll be played in the background and stuff that hopefully provide like almost a little bit of like a meta commentary on what's happening in the in the scene itself. Um, Kelly Fitzpatrick does amazing work over Megan too, doesn't she? I mean. The blacks are great, uh, but once Kelly starts separating everything and, and throwing her palette over that, it's uh, this book is rich. Definitely. And it has a very different look. I mean, this is not something that you're going to look at and think that this is like just another from the big two. It's a much more illustrated style, I think. And I, it's, I think it's something that would be very accessible to folks who don't normally read comics. Hope so. Thank you. Yeah. With the, you know, since this is a creator-owned series and you've done and do a lot of work that that's not creator-owned, as far as like the creative process, what differs for you uh, between those two different types of projects? Um, really, it's just trying to carve out enough time to do them all. Um, usually, I'm just <laughs> yeah. I may I may have a plan. Like I would love to write you know, X-Files all day and then like squirrel myself away and, and just focus on, on rock stars at night while I'm having a great time doing so. And yeah, you know, maybe I'll have music, in an ideal, in an ideal world, maybe I'll listen to music first and, and, you know, pack a bowl or something, but uh, it doesn't always, a lot of times I'm just juggling and I'm jumping to what the most urgent fire is. And sometimes I'm, you know, <laughs> going back and forth trying to get pages to, uh, to one artist and then, later in the day or the next morning doing the same thing on the next project. And uh, so my process is always chaos. I, I, I would love to, I need a coach, Brett. I really do. I need to figure, I, I, someone, I need someone to try, I need someone to chart my, my, my process out for me and, and help me. You heard it here, folks. Start I do. I need, I need a coach. If anyone, I'm, I'm, I'm actively hiring. Yeah, I wouldn't look my way. I'm I'm pure chaos myself. Uh, whirlwind of getting everything done. <laughs> I find that hard to believe as someone who works with you, but okay. So, um, well, as far as one the, thing that I know, creative, wanted to was, ask. Was, was, go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say, as far as like the actual creating the comics, like, what are the differences between actually doing the indies versus doing something for like IDW? Like, what 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 is something that you deal with like IDW? I mean, obviously you have editors there. Is that something you also have to deal with as, as indies? I mean, is, or is there like actually a big difference? I mean, like I've never, I've created one comic and I edited it. So I well, completely pretty much foreign to me. Well, I mean, I think the easiest, not that it's not that one is easier than the other. I mean, but writing for, uh, I mean, in, in this case, the X-Files, just because that, that is essentially my day job, quote unquote. And I, you know, I know who they are. I know uh, I have at least some semblance of an idea where this particular issue or story I'm setting out to write is going. Um, and I know who they're supposed to be at the end of it. And it, 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 I'm writing to expectations, even if I'm going to, even if I'm going to subvert them, you know, I, 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 th- there's something you're servicing when you're, you're working for hire on something, particularly on iconic characters like, you know, 
Agents Mulder and Scully. With rock stars, it's, you know, I don't want to say we're making it up as we go along, but in the in the best sense, we are. And it's a lot of uh, both, um, you know, work that you love doing uh, because it's it's yours and you're creating it, and ideally it's going to be exactly what you want it to be. And it's also, um, you know, scary because you're doing it whole cloth from out of nothing and you don't know how people are going to react. And I guess that's true no matter what you're writing. Sometimes whatever you're creating, you don't know how people are going to react. But I have a certain measure of comfort in a way with the X-Files that with something like Rockstars, no, we've been kicking around for the last couple of years. It's still uh, – it's still still formative, you know, so – it's definitely a a different mindset that I bring to it. Um, It's just easier in a way to, 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 to keep the party going that you've been affecting for, for a while on something for higher. I think Uh, the, the stakes are just naturally going to be higher when it's creator owned. I mean, it's yours. You're on some level, you're hoping it's going to be your X files or your, uh, you know, whatever for higher project you're on otherwise. And, so that's always something that you're processing, you know? Yep, that makes sense. I mean, have you have you found that um, you're having luck with people who might come and check you out? Okay, I see you at conventions all the time. You're constantly like, talking to fans and all that. Um, and, and do you, let's say, you're one of the few who are actually sociable <laughs> in our Sally that you can that's talk true. to, which is actually a rare thing. Um, well, when you talk to you. the fans, I mean, like I... coming, yeah. Believe it or not, it's actually a rare thing in comics. It's really bizarre. Um, the uh, when talking to fans of the X Files, like how do, how are you finding, you know, getting them to to check out your other stuff? I've always been interested in in creators being able to try to get their fans to you know flow between series, even though the series might not be similar. Well, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that in terms of what the uh, <laughs> what the overall effect is because I'm still trying to figure this out myself. Um, uh, I mean, hopefully it's some, you know, I definitely, uh, you really get to see as you do conventions over, you know, a span of years and you go to one particular comic shop or another over, a, you know, a course of quite a few years and book releases that they bring out to, to, to sign for people and you, you start to build a little circle. And, and I do notice that there are people that, that pick up both or pick up, you know, various things. I hope it's more, you know, we'll see, time will tell. Um, you know, going a little retro on the, the question and going back, like, how did you actually get into creating comics? Like, what was your actually, you know, thing that broke through and, and what got you interested in creating comics? Oh, wow. Um, well, I always wanted to make uh, movies and comics when I was growing up. They were uh, what I felt I am supposed to be doing, you know, in some order or another. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going toward. And I had gone to um, I'd gone to film school here in New York City. I graduated uh, from City College in New York, and I had made a, uh, a thesis film back then that uh, had played a bunch of festivals at the time. It, it came out on video. Um, it was actually the first thing I'd ever made that was on Amazon.com. I remember a short film that I had directed in college, and. Um, I had a screening here in New York City. Uh, at the time, I was working um, at Miramax and Dimension uh, here in town. I, I had started working as a temp while I was in school, and uh, I had an amazing experience sort of kicking around this this legendary uh, indie film, film studio here in town at a time when you know, New York City film production was a big deal. And... Uh, I, I had this amazing experience meeting lots of people who worked for this company, meeting lots of filmmakers and talent who uh, made and were in these films. And I had a screening uh, that a friend of mine who was drawing, uh, he was a new artist on X-Force at the time, uh, Adam Polina, he, we had grown up together, and he had brought some of his editors at Marvel down to uh, the screening of mine. And we hit it off, and uh, you know, afterwards they, you know, they said basically, you know, we like what you're doing. We we think you're talented. We think you should be working for us. And I ended up writing uh, a bunch of things at Marvel when I was just out of college and really had no clue what 
<laughs> you know, how to really do this. I had wanted to write comics. Um, I had never, I hadn't really, you didn't really do it the way that you get into the industry these days, just pretty much going out and making a comic if no one else is, is, is paying attention to you. You have those means now. For me, it was sort of like the first script I ever wrote was published. Um, I kind of got all these crazy opportunities thrown at me when I was, you know, fairly young um, and Marvel at the time was kind of like a broken place. It was they, they were still in bankruptcy. They were uh, kind of running on the fumes and vapors of the the Age of Apocalypse era. You know, like uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like at one time, it yeah. was a big, big business, and then it was you know now it wasn't. But you know, in there, I, I you know got some opportunities and. Uh, that sort of got me my first credits. I, I did my first monthly series, my uh, two monthly series I wrote back there for them as well as a bunch of minis and one shots. And, um, and that's, you know, I thought that's what I was going to be doing for a while. And then I, I, uh, I wanted to make another film and I wanted to make a horror movie. And I had this idea for a, a short film involving the two fairy that was actually a twisted take on that, on 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 the on the children's character that you know comes into kids's uh rooms and takes their baby teeth from them i wanted to make this uh this film and it and uh it found its way uh to producers that had a, a development deal at a studio and next thing i know i'm co-writing the script for what would be the feature adaptation of that short film and i ended up uh exclusively then for a few years just uh trying to get movies made and chasing screenwriting assignments and, you know, having amazing triumphs as well as heartbreaking uh, catastrophic failures that are just involved when you're, you know, trying to to land the rights to something or get a cool job or, you know, lots of heartbreak and triumph goes into any artistic endeavor, I guess. So when you try to make something of a living in Hollywood, everything's amplified, uh, to a, a, you know, a whole different level. And um, I did that for a little while, uh, and that was cool, but it was also uh, kind of of a, you know, just a grind when you think about how much work uh, goes into trying to do that and the ideas you have, the pitches you come up with, the, the stories that you attempt to tell that one for one reason or another don't work, then just go away. And... Uh, I don't say this to say that comics uh, that are made from discarded or unused movie ideas are a wonderful or good thing, but I found myself thinking, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I make, you know, I had comic book credits and I was feeling very uh, sort of orphaned creatively in a way, um, just, I not you know there's a very unfulfilled you know I've I've made a couple of films and I have sold a few others and the rate of success is still infinitesimally low it feels like you know you're like a 250 hitter in a sense like when you're uh when you're doing this and 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 I found myself really missing making comics the immediacy the the re- you know even though Rockstars is two years it's still relatively fast uh, compared to some of the other things that I've worked on. And while I was away from mainstream comics, comics really changed, and all these new properties uh, had, had had come out and been successful both within the comics industry as well as crossing over just into greater pop culture, things like Why the Last Man and The Walking Dead. It was inspirational, and I found myself thinking, you know, okay, who who do I know? Where? How do I affect? sort of getting uh, back into comics with an emphasis on creator-owned. And, you know, I started, I published a few things with Oni Press. Uh, and then Great Pacific was the first thing that I brought to Image. And so I've been doing this now for a few years and trying to sort of bring what I know about comics and I guess, you know, attempting to tell stories in, 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 in other media together. Uh, ideally, so that's I mean that's that's the long and the short of my career, how I got into comics, and you know what the hell I'm still doing among them, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Is, what what are the big differences? They and you know, obviously you mentioned the time frame, but when it comes to actually do like creating the story or developing all that, you know, what are some of the major differences between a film and a comic series? 
Uh, well, I mean, it depends on. I mean, with a comic series, you're you're. It's sort of a. It, there's like a, a bit of an open-ended nature to it. I mean, when you're trying to pitch a movie, you're 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 coming up with your take. You know, maybe uh, it, you know, maybe I, I'm chasing an assignment, or uh, if I have uh, an idea for a film that we're going to eventually produce, it's a it's a for me anyway. It feels like a more singular thing. Whereas I'm thinking comic series, it's got legs that can go in a, in, a, in a bunch of different directions. So there are just different tracks that my mind is operating on. Makes sense. Is, is there one that you actually enjoy more than the other? I mean, it kind of sounded like comics was more your alley. I, you know, I love doing both. I mean, you know, once you, once you see your name on a theater screen, it's kind of addicting, you know, <laughs> Uh, it's true. I mean, everyone, that's why people fight over credits all the time. I mean, you, you, you can, guilds have to arbitrate who gets credited for what, be you an actor or uh, writers and such. And credit is like, you know, it's like money only fame is involved, you know? So it's, uh, it's kind of hard not to get excited about that when you see a movie poster with your name on it, you know? So, so I don't think I enjoy one over the other. And definitely when I've been in the throes of one, I miss doing the other because I think that's just natural. The grass is always greener. But, I mean, I would love to make another movie <laughs> if that's what we we're talking about. So <laughs> it's really it's really what am I doing now and what would I love to do tomorrow? Yeah, it's it's still weird. Um, I mean, it's been the site for whatever, eight, nine years at this point, and I'm still just completely tripped out when I see names of people – that I just know on the on the big screen. It's one of those like odd things, so I can't even imagine what it's like to see your own name um, up there. So, I mean, to me, it's still an odd one. And you're like, wait, I know that person. I've gone drinking with that person. It's um, cool when your family uh-huh. sees it's... it. What's that? Yeah, I said it's cool. It's cool when your family sees it. You know, it's neat. Yeah, Suddenly, it's like you've you've you've. Uh... In a sense, you you've made it all okay. You know all the all the hell that you put them through, all the doubts <laughs> they ever had. It's like, oh, well, this is everything's going to be fine. You know, <laughs> it's totally worth it. Um, yeah, yeah. All I that, know all we, that, we don't have know, you. all that credit card debt he went into to make that thing. Like it's all good. It's all... <laughs> uh, well, we don't have you uh, for much longer. We kind of want to be um, cognizant of your time. I, what what advice do you have for for people who either want to break into to films or comics? I mean, is there like this one lesson that you've learned over the years? Well, I mean, easy. It's it's so mundane, but I think the biggest, the greatest advice is just finish what you start because you can't get better until you start completing things, you know. And um, keep going when. It, you know, I always thought I was brilliant growing up when I was a kid, thinking everything I was creating was awesome, and then I would be devastated when people didn't respond as uh, <laughs> as uh, my genius as you know I as I envisioned myself being, and uh, allow for that, you know, and 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 grow from it, and keep going, and just publish yourself and make things, and you know, it used to be much harder. To, to to make a movie and to publish a comic, certainly. And nowadays, I mean, my goodness, I mean, you find so many talented people exist in online portfolios or, or, or web comics. And then until you, until suddenly, you know, enough people find them and suddenly people are fighting over who's going to collaborate them on an image series. Um, it's just easy to, you know, you can make a movie with your iPhone um, that looks better than, you know, stuff that I was spending thousands of dollars to rent. 15 years ago. So um, the things that are the most, were always the most prohibitive have become much more accessible and media, as they say, has been democratized. So it's really about all the tools are there. So you just got to, you know, the biggest advice I could really lend is start finishing things, stop having, you know, unfinished things in your desk drawer and get it out there and, you know, get better. That's all I mean, kids these days don't realize they don't have to learn how to use a light meter, you know. Like, these are things that we survived in our, in our educational past. I, I you will fear, never have to you know, sit at an avid. Yeah, yeah I, I fear having to, you know, 
understand what foot candle readings are is a lost art form. I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how to thread a steam deck editing table might exactly might not oh. really be a a marketable uh, skill in <laughs> this deep into the twenty. I mean, century. I don't think it was when I graduated from college in two thousand and one, for that matter. And yet, there we were, there we were. But um, <laughs> look, it's a nonlinear world, so that's fine. You know, do, you can do it all on your phone. The, the finished product is all that matters, right? So. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't matter how you make it, and you can make it easily now. And uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm happy to have shot things on 16 millimeter film and 35 millimeter film, but because it looks I probably good, would be, damn it, it but, looks yeah. aw- it looks <laughs> awesome. But you know, if you can shoot on you know one of those fancy new cameras and save a lot of money and still have it look like you know a billion dollars, that's I can't argue with that. But I think your point is right. It's like the the challenge people face is one of completion. I mean, that's always that's yeah. Me too. I mean, I deal with this especially especially when it comes to what I'm going to do next. That's where I still run into this uh, you know this demon. Um, just in terms of you know, is this is this the concept I want to pour myself into getting out there next? And you, you start to beat it out, and then you know you might reach an impasse, and I end up abandoning the idea. Maybe sometime later it'll be picked apart and the parts will go into something new and it'll all be good. But um, I still wrestle with that. I mean, I have, I have tons of unfinished things that I kind of like, and I wish I could devote the brain power to just sort of getting it out there, but I haven't for whatever reason. So I think, you know, at least I'm always wrestling with that on some level. And I totally relate oh. to being a kid and trying to do it and, and, and not being able to get past this point. So it's, it's definitely something that's still there. Oh, actually, I've got a question for you. You're you're someone who has like you have you have good politics. Has the election changed which of your projects you're prioritizing right now? I mean, obviously, and, and that was actually going to be my question going, too. But... Yeah, oh. I am still trying to make sense of of what it is I have to say that's relevant to this strange new age we're about to enter into or you know maybe we've been entering into and we've been entering into it for the last couple of years but um i'm 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 trying to figure this out myself because i'm 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 pretty outspoken you know and i uh i've got a lot of opinions i am not shy about them so i'm not i'm not worried about being political and who i might offend because i i like i like you know reaching and you know, affecting in a positive way the people that seem to like what I have to say. At least, so at least they they seem to tell me they do. I get a kick out of people. That how many people come up to me at conventions and tell me they enjoy my Facebook pages? So um, <laughs> that's neat. Um, but but in terms of like what I'm prioritizing, I mean, I have ideas both for where I'd like to take the X Files in this new age. Uh, so that's something I'm thinking about. Um, and I'm also thinking about <laughs> they can how to what tell the this election. Right. I mean, yeah. In the mi- in the, in the <laughs> macro and the micro, right? So, um, and you know, trying to figure out what, as a storyteller, I want to do. Um, wh- wh- how are these themes going to going to seep into genre fiction? You know, because and I don't know yet. You know, I'm I'm still trying to figure this out. Every time I think I have an idea for what I want to do. Um, somewhat tangentially related to the to the horror show that was this last election uh i wonder am i being on the nose or you know, you know what i don't know if that's the right idea i'm speaking very vaguely because i'm honestly still feeling this out because i know as a storyteller i feel a responsibility on some small level to speak to these things this uncertainty this fear this um uh uh this anxiety that so many people close to me are feeling and I think are right to feel, uh, I want to speak to that. I, I just haven't figured out what the right tack is yet. Um, it's interesting because I was just starting to figure out how I think I want to talk about the George Bush years. And now suddenly that just doesn't feel relevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like, how quaint were they? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Can we go back to those days? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm glad you're asking those questions because, like, it's important. <laughs> I, 
I, I'm asking those questions. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's. I, I really don't know. I don't think anybody really has a handle on this yet. I don't think we're going to be surprised for the better. That much I do feel confident in. Um, yeah. So given that I'm pretty confident this is going to be a shit show, I'm uh, I'm trying to keep an open mind with regards to how it is I want to illuminate things about what I fear is coming and how I want, you know, different things I want to tackle, maybe not head on, but, you know, how might attitudes shift or, you know, how might anxieties filter down and, 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 and be touched in storytelling or affected for the better or, you know, the worse, but in an artistic way, you know, it's like not to, I'm just just feeling it out. I mean, we're all in the dark right now. No one saw this coming to this level. I, I'm I'm in shock, you know. So doing the best I can. Do you well, do you find um do you find it that it, it's it's so like unbelievable and like ludicrous in so many ways? Like you know, if you if you told the story five or six years ago, everyone would have laughed at you and be like, no, there's no way. That's just so over the top. Like as a storyteller, do you think that's a hurdle in, in kind of reflecting and saying and talking about what's going on too? And is it's just so out there and so extreme in many ways? I'm kind of amazed at how little I wasn't. Let me rephrase that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I was floored by how much I turned out. How much it turned out I didn't know some things. Like I was not aware of how big this so-called alt-right movement was. For instance, you know, I, yeah. I think I, I, I've got a pretty good handle, I thought, on the, on, you know, the crap that goes on in this world, both close to me and in a broader sense. I didn't see that. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Breitbart, after Andrew Breitbart had died, had gone on to have this new chapter that, I thought they were just kind of the continuation of the same old racist stuff they used to do. I didn't realize there was this other aspect to them, you know, that, that, that the Steve Bannon character was determined to provide mm-hmm. a platform for. And that's just for instance, you know, I didn't, I didn't really appreciate, I think, how this Trump character was speaking to some folks who were maybe not the most uh, in-your-face, you know, you know, the, oh, the circus procession we would see during the during the primaries, just the 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 the, the footage of violence in the in the crowd and, and the way people were. I you know I wasn't I can't that's not everyone in rural Pennsylvania, right? So I was not that was a surprise to me, just the mm-hmm. the, the sort of reach of this and um yeah I I, I don't. Uh, I'm getting lost in my own despair. Where were we in this conversation? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Whether or not like, things would be possible—a question of plausibility. Like, oh man, I yeah. have an amazing tweet about this, and I'm forgetting what it was, and I've lost it. Uh, you know, like whether or not you can reflect these things because it seems almost implausible. Like, so how do you how do you write about it if it seems like it couldn't even be true? I have a, I was going to mention this later, I have an essay on the dailybeast.com that came out this weekend where I talk about the ways that Jack Kirby's fourth world saga actually prefigure the rise of Trump and I read that fall as well. And I thought it was great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So I, I think Jack, I read Kirby, that Jack Kirby saw it coming. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think Jack, Jack Kirby should have saw it coming as somebody who was like actually studied you know, Hitler in a very close and real way as a Jewish person growing up in that era who then fought against Nazis. But, um, but yeah, I think, like, some of the most cartoonish portrayals we've had of U.S. presidents in comics, including, like, you know, Frank in Dark Knight Strikes Again, like the, the dark, you know, Frank Miller, like, he's, like, kind mm-hmm. of orange there. But, um, but, yeah, I think it's a question of, like, how much will people find believable? And now I think anybody would be willing to suspend disbelief over the depth to which things in America could be bad. The exception, of course, being the top writing uh, news editors at politico.com who seem to think that going to cocktail and having food on order from Trump is responsible journalism. But um, yeah. I think most of the other people are not are, are kind of starting to recognize that almost anything could be imaginable. 
You know, I mean, I keep on going back to Evil Empire, which series by Max Bemis that came out like a year or two ago. No, more than that, like maybe two or three years ago. And he actually had a story of basically like incited violence in his supporters. Uh, wound up that he was stooping his sister, so there was like this weird incestuous thing going on, um, and yeah, yeah and, and winds up doing uh, you know this fascist U.S. empire. And I'm going back to it. I'm like, holy shit! You know, other than like the slight, slight twist that happened in the series, he's like nailed this election in so many ways. But when I read it, I was like, this is over the top. There's no way in hell uh, it could happen. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, he, he seemed to, the, the lead singer, going back to the music, the lead singer of Say, uh, Say Anything seems to have nailed this election in a comic, uh, a few years ago. Uh, really <laughs> random. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've got to read Sinclair Lewis again, maybe. And I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, 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 uh, Yeah. <laughs> This is it's going to be interesting because I think uh, within the next year we're going to have a good track in terms of uh, you know where it is we're actually physically going as a country and what the response is going to be in art in in literature in in you know documentary filmmaking and, and writing and uh, it, it, there's just such a fog right now I I really and I don't even I, I just mean just objectively just thinking about it as as someone who wants to contribute to the times through, you know, communication and art and, and doing what it is I do, I'm still grasping for a take on this. Right? You know, right now, the only thing, the only commentary I'm getting is from columnists like Charles Blow and, uh, uh, you know, various guys at the Washington Post. Like, that's that's really all that we're seeing. It's, it's almost like we're in this stasis. And for better or worse, once he's inaugurated, I think this is going to start ramping up really fast. So hopefully, we're going to start getting a handle on how to, say, you know, what to say and how to say it. Well, the New York Washington Post is never well, going to guess to give you organizing points because that's not their agenda. I mean, the Washington Post has done some excellent reporting work, but honestly, like the conversations around mobilization are happening in progressive press, and I think that, like. You know, there's big people or people who kind of like live in both worlds. You know, like I mean, Sarah Jaffe has an amazing piece over in Rolling Stone. Fulmer gets mm-hmm. on the podcast um, on Rolling Stone, uh, looking at protest movements that are and what they're doing now at this point in terms of responding to the Trump crisis. But I definitely think that there's like some smart stuff that's that that is being written about organizing and like ways that folks can take action and. It is having there, but it's just it's not going to be in the post because that's just not their agenda. And again, like the post is probably the best like mainstream newspaper in the country. So I'm not saying that as a critique to them. Like mm-hmm. they're doing actual journalism, unlike the New York Times, who I don't think is. But um, but like <laughs> but if folks are looking for yeah, folks are looking for like analysis that's going to lead folks to take action and like ways to be productive in their communities. I definitely think you need to step outside of. Of the, of the traditional press to get some of the best stuff. And I'm happy to share resources with folks on our site, of course, as always. So, Well, uh, I know we have you from the time. I know we've got you for a, a limited time and, and want to be cognizant of that. Um, so before we, we wrap up, uh, we always want to give a, the platform for guests to uh, be able to tell listeners where they can find them, you know, pitch whatever projects they want to do. So, you know, where can people be on, on Twitter and Facebook and, um, you know, what are the various series that they should go out and be buying and they really should go out and be buying these because they're good? Uh, well, I mean, you can find me at uh, – I'm not that hard to find on, on social media. Twitter, I'm just at Joe Harris uh, as well as Facebook. Uh, JoeHarris.net is my site. Um uh, I would keep an eye out for uh, the next myth arc that we're going to be uh, building toward in the X-Files book, as well as a, a special two-part uh, Skinner story that we've got coming up that I'm excited about. Um, I love assistant director Skinner, like a lot of X-Files fans, and I, I want to do a spotlight story on him for a while. Um, oh. And, you know, Rockstars has just kicked off, so, you know, catch us monthly. Um, first issue just came out this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, which is uh, what has brought us together today. And um, uh, I've got some new stuff going on in the, you'll be hearing about in the future as well. I'm writing, uh, this is known, I'm writing um, the live action Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe uh, web series mm-hmm. for Valiant. Um, and Can't wait. 
it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you saw the trailer. It's it looks stupid good. Um, I'm really <laughs> impressed by this. Plus, you so, got, you so, got yeah, more coming out. You know, as well as Valiant. Say that again. I was going to say, plus you got more coming out with Valiant. I do. I did. I uh, I'm writing a, um, uh, a one shot tie in to Divinity Three, uh, the Stalinverse, uh, the Stalinverse iteration of Exo Man of War, which has been a lot of fun. A lot of fun to write. Um, I find uh, this idea of a dominant uh, future Soviet Union empire fascinating. So it was a lot of fun to play there, and I was uh, I was very grateful that they asked me. Cool. cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of excitement around those. Thanks yes. for joining us again. Yes, I appreciate I it. Can't wait. Well, thank you for having me. Much appreciated, guys. All right. Thank you so much, and uh, have a, a great holiday season coming up. Oh, you too, man. I can't believe it's, what, in a week? Damn, not even. <laughs> yeah. This weekend. Uh, I'm scrambling. It, I can't uh, believe it's this quick. I think it's like two weeks away, and it's not. No, it <sighs> really isn't. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, look, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you guys. Happy New Year, and uh, yep. thank you again. Anytime I can help. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> You're welcome. So Good night. Brett. Good night. Yep. night. <laughs> so on our way out. Oh, thanks. Yep. On our way out. Uh, um, real quick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you have it. I was about to um, say, you, you, of course, you have the article that you brought up that you want to go plug again and some other things. Yep. About. Again, um, on the Daily Beast, you can find it linked to on my on my. Uh, it's right now. It's my my top status on Twitter, but the article is on the Daily Beast. If you look up Jack Kirby, Fourth World on the Daily Beast, you will find my article, always talking about Jack Kirby and and uh, what we can learn from his art, especially now in the time of Trump. I focus upon Glorious Godfrey, his uh, dark side's most interesting minion, if you ask me, and just the amazing similarities between him and Trump. Uh, and I think it hopefully will help folks understand why Trump is such a compelling figure to so many people even though he's so uh, revolting and terrifying to us. Um, so, yeah, I hope folks will check that out. And I also just wanted to remind folks, if you're looking for meaningful ways to get involved in the fight against fascism, um, we really do need help from artists, writers, creators, tech folks. We, I mean, from everyone, we need everyone. But if you're someone who is a writer, an artist, a designer, a comedian, a performer, a techie, um, I could actually use your help in a, on a specific form that, I'm use, that we're using to collect um, possible volunteer assistance. Workingfamilies.org is recruiting creative types to help make art and do writing and things like that for the fight, for the fight against Trump. And you can, you can um, sign up to share your skills by going to workingfamilies.org slash creative resistance as in being creative and resisting. Um, so that's a one really good place to go and help out. And regardless, if you go to workingfamilies.org, there's a link to help find local emergency meetings in your community that anybody can plug into to help out anywhere in the country, basically. I mean, I don't know, maybe there isn't one in central Alaska, but there are ones happening all over the place. So if you're looking for a way that you can just show up and help make a difference in your community um, by doing important political work. Uh, this is a great way to do it. Go to workingfamilies.org. And I, hopefully I'll be in touch soon with some additional places that folks can plug into. I'm working on a portal myself as well. So, uh, Yeah, we, uh, I just tweeted it up for that. So if folks want to um, find that, they can also check out the, the Graph Policy Twitter. It is uh, just tweeted up. So. It'll be nice and there, uh, convenient for you to find. Um, but yeah, so for those who were listening and want to listen again, um, the radio show will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in probably like an hour or two, and then also uh, be loaded up on um, SoundCloud tomorrow, and then loaded on to uh, graphicpolicy.com the following day. So you'll be able to catch everything there. You can listen to it again. You can go share it with friends. Um, please, please do. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can catch 
comic news every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. So until and next I time. Am is, on Twitter at yeah, sorry. Ilana, E-L-A-N-A, okay. <laughs> Ilana, E-L-A-N-A <laughs> underscore Brooklyn, which is where I'm at on Twitter. Yeah. Someday I'll actually remember that. It only took me like what a dozen episodes to get the end right or something like that. So I know. And now just got to get back to it. Yeah, you, you got it. Like two hundred episodes in, you finally broke me and to be able to get that a lot of the stuff right. Now, now it gets changed up and I'm screwing things up again. All right. So yes, go follow find Alana. And as always, thank you for listening and thank you, Joe, for uh, joining us. Um, it's always great talking to him. He's one of my favorite uh, creators to go see at conventions and, and just shoot the shit with. So uh, to be able to talk to him on the show is uh, tons of fun. And uh, Rockstars is awesome. X-Files is fantastic. Uh, Great Pacific. Uh, the trade should be out. Um, definitely go get that if you've never read it. Uh, Ghost Project is fantastic. Like, Joe rocks when it comes to, to writing. It's just really entertaining. So go support him. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Keep reading those comics and keep on being geeky.